Uh, good morning. My name is Graham Cowgill. I'm the student ministries pastor here. And as always, it's an honor to be speaking. Uh, I don't get up here all the time, so I wanted to give you guys a little family update, right? What's going on with the Cowgills? What the heck's going on with that family? Um, our twins are now five months old, and uh, our little girl, Tatum, she has outgrown her colic, which is awesome. She's not sleeping still. She's just not screaming anymore, which <laughs> I've heard is a step in the right direction. So that's good. And then our little boy, Jace, uh, he's our little sensitive one. That's what we call him, cute little thing. And uh, that means any sound above a whisper, and he's probably crying, and that's okay. <laughs> if you leave the room, he's probably crying, and that's okay. If you watch The Notebook, he'll probably cry with you. Like that's, <laughs> And that's okay, you know? The weird thing is that he's also huge, like really huge. So I'm thinking that's just going to be awkward on down the line, that he's going to be the 6'8", 250-pound guy that's at all the open mic poetry nights, you know? <laughs> what are you even doing here? He's like, Shakespeare, what are you doing here? Um, that big boy uh, with the striped pants, that's Gage, our three-year-old. And Gage is, has started potty training, which actually turns out is about the worst thing you could imagine. People all the time are like, oh, nothing grosser than diapers. Yes, there is. <laughs> Whoa, baby. It is awful. And it turns out I just happened to marry the uh, rock, paper, scissors champion of the world. <laughs> I had no idea when we got married, but yeah, I just always know it's my turn. I just walk around with gardening gloves on, you know, and a catcher's mitt. And I'm just like, let's get down. That's my life. The fact that I don't have pink eye is like a medical miracle, <laughs> to be honest. Like, you should test my blood for the antidote to pink eye. What, what are we even talking about? All right, let's, off topic, let's pray, let's get started this morning. <laughs> Father, thank you for this morning, this time, just to be here with you, to have fun, to enjoy each other. Um, Lord, would you speak clearly this morning? Speak clearly to us, individually from the people around us, and we are available to hear what you would speak to us. We love you, we trust you. In your name, amen. We've been in the series, awesome series, Art of Relationships, and we've been going through this passage. I'm going to read it really quickly. 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Now, some people hear that, and they're like, oh, I'm going to put that on a sweater and wear it around, you know? <laughs> and some of us read that, and we're like, does that sound impossible to anybody else? Like, you got to be kidding me. Like, my wife is the person here on earth who I love the most, more than anybody else, and still in the past week, I'm like two for seven on this with her. <laughs> right? And we're supposed to love the people around us. That was awesome. Love the people around us. <laughs> love our neighbors. Love our enemy. Like how? And the reason it seems impossible, we've talked about this before, is because we as humans are innately self-focused, right? And so love is supposed to be about somebody else. Love is what we give to somebody else. And still, we've made love about us. And relationships are not just supposed to be beautiful, 
relationships are necessary for us. But so many times we've kind of categorized at least successful relationships as impossible. And I think a lot of us have missed something vital, a vital component that God has designed for life, a beautiful component that God has designed for life. Um, hopefully this series and today's message will just help pinpoint a couple of areas that we might be stuck a little bit in relationships. Maybe it'll dislodge us just a little bit so that we can experience what God has designed relationships to be about. Uh, for me, looking back, when I kind of realized I was stuck, I, I know when the biggest eye-opening was, and it was when I had kids. Um, if you're in here and you're single, newsflash, uh, if the relationships that you're in are about you and your comforts, that doesn't magically change when you walk down the aisle. You don't get married and then all of a sudden put people around you before yourself. Right? And if you're married and you think that, well, as soon as I have kids, I'll become selfless, you're wrong. As a matter of fact, children magnify selfishness. I remember when Gage was young, he's like five months old, still in the carrier, and I took him down to the beach um, and set up an umbrella, set up a chair, and he's there, and we're having a little beach day, and somebody eventually was like, hey, Graham, you want to hop in this volleyball game? And I was like, no, man, but okay, right, just <laughs> didn't take much convincing. And so I'm in this volleyball game, and sure enough, four points later, Gage is having just a freak-out session, and if my focus was loving Gage, it's a piece of cake. I pick him up, we walk a little bit, I rock him, I calm him down. But in that moment, my focus was myself. My focus was what I wanted to do. And so relationship, Gage, became an inconvenience to me. If you're married in here, and your goal is for your life to look like it did when you were single, then marriage becomes an inconvenience. If you're single and your goal is to climb to the top as fast as possible, to make as much money as you can with no distractions, then friendships become an inconvenience. God gives us things all the time that can either be a gift or a burden, and it's our choice. Right? Time can be a beautiful gift or it can be a burden. Money can be a beautiful gift. God can do incredible things with money when we have the right mindset. It can also control us. We can be slaves to money. For you here today, how do you view relationships? Do you view them as a gift or do you view them as a burden? Are they a gift to you or a burden? Because God did not create relationships to suck the life out of us. Right? He didn't design relationships to torture us. A lot of times, we just, we miss the beauty that's possible because we refuse to shift our focus, refuse to shift our goals or our expectations. Today, we're going to look at one of the major snares that makes relationships seem impossible. And we can't totally eliminate today's topic, but I think just by calling it out, highlighting it, being proactive with it, decreasing it a little bit, that our relationships will become simpler. Maybe not easier, but simpler. Um, today we're going to look at the part of the verse that says, love is not jealous or boastful or proud. Love is not proud. P 
pride says, I'm more important than you. I'm more important than you. Pride is one of the most destructive forces that exists. Right? At every single affair that's ever happened is because I'm more important than you. Every horrible argument you've been in is because I'm more important than you. Every time a parent has given up on a kid, I'm more important than you. Even the unforgiveness that we harbor is I'm more important than you. I can trace every major downfall in my life to pride. And the reason that pride is so destructive is because pride's crafty. It's hard to always see pride, to recognize when you're influenced by pride. Right? There's some things that are easy. Anger is easy. Right? There's a flow chart. It's like, did you throw a lamp at someone? Yes, you're angry. Oh, okay, I get it. Pride is a little bit tougher. And so I wanted to give us, on your outline, you'll see three perspective checks, three questions, three things to reference, to look at in the middle of conversation, in the middle of marriage, in the middle of friendships, in the middle of family, that we can just kind of recalibrate and check and see if pride is, you know, reared its ugly head. So number one, and you'll see it on your outline, do you view yourself as better or worse than this person? Do you view yourself as better or worse than this person? Now, the passage we're talking about today is pride. And some people in here are like, actually, I'm good there, Graham. I personally view myself as worse than everybody. If that's you, good news, this applies to everybody. <laughs> A lot of people think that insecurity is the opposite of pride, and it's not. It's virtually the same thing. Here's what happens is, underlined, there is a brokenness. We're going to call that imperfection. Okay? We are all imperfect. Nobody here is perfect. Everybody here has done something wrong. I hope I'm not blowing any minds there. Like, we, we get it. We have all screwed up, right? Now, in the wake of imperfection comes a cry for identity. We aren't defined by perfection, that's not what we call ourselves, so we need something to grab onto. We need something to define ourselves, to identify with. There's a cry for identity. And when we don't have something to identify ourselves with, the only logical next step is comparison, is to see where I stack up. Now listen, everybody here, everybody here is defined by what somebody thinks about you. We are all defined by what somebody thinks about us. We just get to choose who that is. You want to choose your heavenly father who calls you his masterpiece? Or do you want to choose the other knuckleheads here on earth that call you a screw-up? Comparison happens when we trust other people's opinions of us over God's opinion of us. Then, when you're faced with comparison, it's the same coin, different sides, right? You're either better or worse, pride or insecurity. Some people in here have a tendency or they gravitate towards pride. That's me, right? And for you fellow priders out there, we have this ability to manipulate ourselves and manipulate other people into spending time in our most successful areas. That's what pride is. Through anger, 
through bragging, through controlling conversations, through humor. I and the people around me spend times in the areas that I'm the strongest, I'm the best at. And insecurity is just the opposite. Insecurity is that the self-masochistic need just to feel worse than everybody, to be worse, to spend time in your weakness. So pride and insecurity are pulling from the same thing. I think we see that now, which is comparison. Comparison is stemming from a lack of identity, and the lack of identity is stemming from refusing to believe God's opinion of you. We're in the series, The Art of Relationships, and we want to look today at how pride affects the people around us. The biggest killer of relationships is pride because pride makes love impossible. Pride makes love impossible. You know what pride is actually doing? It's warring against intimacy. It's warring against intimacy. Now, intimacy is not just sex. Sex is a display of intimacy between husband and wife, but it's not just sex. Intimacy is interwoven with vulnerability. Vulnerability is necessary for love. Vulnerability is necessary for relationships. And because intimacy and vulnerability is connecting, pride is distancing, and so it's actually working against love. Pride is working against what God has designed relationships to be. If relationships are supposed to be healing, here's how that happens. One person goes to another person and says, I am a screw-up. I have done horrible things. I've done things you can't even imagine. I've totally blown it. And then the other person looks that person in the eye and says, that doesn't change how much I love you. Healing happens in a relationship when we get just a fraction, just a glimpse of how much God loves us through another person. In Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. God made it very, very clear. Right? God, God gave everybody a scantron. And there's only two bubbles on God's scantron, right? It's either perfect or imperfect. And every one of us checks the imperfect. There is no better. There is no worse. We are all imperfect. It doesn't matter what you did in high school. It doesn't matter if you had perfect attendance in the church choir right? or your dark ages, whatever that was. Everybody checks imperfect. And when Jesus, who is God's son, fully God, came here to earth and willingly died for us, he put a third option on the scantron. The third option is forgiven. He says all you have to do is simply ask for forgiveness, and it's given to you. And when you check that, you are now defined by God's opinion of you. So there's no better, no worse. Every one of us has marked the imperfect box. We just have an opportunity to show people around us a little sample of the love that God has given us. It says in the verse, God forgives, so we forgive. God loves, so we love. Every time we have a healing relationship, it's tapping into God's love and how he feels about that person. Number two, on your outline, who's getting the glory? Who's getting the glory? We're going to be in Luke 22, starting in verse 24. 
little context. Jesus is walking with his disciples. His disciples are like his closest boys. And this is actually some of the last hours before Jesus is going to be taken to his death. And Jesus knows that, to give you the gravity of the situation. Jesus is about to be taken to his death, and in the midst of that, his idiot disciples are having this conversation, right? And so Jesus, instead of slapping somebody, he says this. He hits them with a little truth nugget, like Jesus does. Actually, i got to read it from up here. This one's wrong. Uh, Within minutes, they were bickering over who of them would end up the greatest. But Jesus intervened. Kings like to throw their weight around. People in authority like to give themselves fancy titles. It's not going to be that way with you. Let the senior among you become like the junior. Let the leader act the part of the servant. Who would you rather be, the one who eats the dinner or the one who serves the dinner? You'd rather eat and be served, right? But I've taken my place among you as the one who serves. If you are stuck in pride, if you are stuck in comparison, whether you realize it or not, inevitably, all of your words are used for leverage for yourself. Whether you know it or not, if you're in the comparison game, then everything you say is to build yourself up. It's to make yourself look better. It's to glorify yourself. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. It says this, A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. When you're looking up, when your focus is off comparison, when your focus is off the chaos of the world, when you're looking up, you are able to tap in to what the Father thinks about the person across from you. And when that happens, things change. Um, in high school, every week we have pizza, and when we don't finish the pizzas, well, like one, two, or three left over, I'll take them downtown and pass them out to the homeless. And about a month ago, um, I took a couple and went down and uh, had some extra all the way through Main Street and got all the way to the pier. And you know those cement steps that are there by the pier? Um, there was this guy who had kind of set up shop. He had this like blanket canopy and all this stuff around. And so I went over and I kind of did a little knock and I was like, anyone in there want a pizza? And I hear this voice go, yeah, buddy. (laughs) I was like, yes, I like it. This guy comes out with long dreads and I was like, what's going on, man? I'm Graham. And he goes, cool, man. My friends call me Lucky. I was like, awesome, man. What's going on, Lucky? And uh, I sat down with Lucky, and we talked for a while, talked for about 30 minutes. And uh, by the way, I don't know when the last time you've had the opportunity to do that is, but uh, man, I would encourage you to do that. It is just like, um, it's a window into that world, right? It's, it is a, a different side, and you really learn a lot about people and about yourself inside of that moment. But I was talking with Lucky for about 30 minutes, and I remember I was about to leave And I just looked into Lucky's eyes and I said, dude, Lucky, God has created you with so much courage, so much influence, and I just want to let you know it has been an absolute honor talking to you. Bear with me here for a second, but God exists in three persons. Three different persons make up who God is. It's God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, who died for us. The third 
distinct person of God is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with us at all time. And the Holy Spirit is constantly encouraging us, is constantly speaking life to us, is constantly guiding us. Think about that. That means that the Holy Spirit, that God is constantly encouraging your friend. It means that God is constantly speaking life to the person, that family member that you hate. God is constantly speaking life to your spouse. And we have a choice. When we use words that tear people down, when we gossip, when we use words that condemn, that build ourselves up, that glorify ourselves, we are actively working against the life and beauty that God is trying to speak into somebody. The opposite side is true. We have the opportunity to join, to partner with God as he encourages and speaks life and beauty and love and healing into the people around us. I think that relationships point to God. Healthy relationships point. To, and I'm not just talking about like overarching relationships. Conversations should point to God. Reactions should point to God. And trust me, I don't, you're better at this than I am. I don't have this figured out. And I have some relationships that are very, very tough. I have some relationships in my family that are very, very tough. Um, but something shifted. Something shifted when I uncovered this pride in myself. And I changed my goal a little bit. My goal is no longer to be the benefactor. That my goal, I recognize that I had the opportunity to be used as an instrument of healing in somebody's life. Maybe some of us have never let go of unforgiveness long enough to be used. Maybe some of us have never taken a step of vulnerability enough to be used. I think that we have a potential to have conversations that when people come away from talking to us, they want to know more about God. They get just a small glimpse into how much God loves them. Our third point on the outline is why not? Why not? We'll explain that here in a second. Uh, Mark 10, starting in verse 17, uh, says, And he, talking about Jesus, and he was setting out on his journey. A man ran up, another translation says a rich man, ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he, this young man, said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus doesn't get frustrated. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. God prompts us all the time to put people ahead of ourselves. He does it all the time. Not just giving us opportunities, he prompts us. We feel something inside of us. 
that's prompted to put people in front of us. And I think a very telling question sometimes can be our why not. If we actually speak out the potential that's in the good column, what's possible, what God could do with this act, if we speak that out, a lot of times our why not loses its power when we see what's possible in the good column. Right, let's take this guy. He probably looks back and realizes, I had the opportunity to follow the God of the universe in human form. My why not was because I really like my stuff. Right? And we all have rough why nots. Because I like my comfort. Because it's hard. Because I might get hurt. Man, so often... We forget the reasons why. We forget the incredible good that God can do when we choose that. When I was in junior high, I was an eighth grader. You're not even going to believe this, an eighth grade story, but I was an eighth grader, and we were in Waco, Texas, in the rough part of Waco, Texas, uh, in a ghetto there. And um, we had this thing in this thing called Backyard Bible Clubs. We'd go to these different projects, and we'd knock on the doors and say, hey, you have any kids, send them out in 20 minutes, and we're going to have some games and a message. And I'm going to tell you guys, it was heartbreaking. You would knock on the doors, and these parents would answer the door just high as a kite, and they would have heroin track marks in their arms, and they would just push their kids out, like, take them. And as we're going around this project, word traveled faster than we did, and pretty soon we had 100-plus kids that were walking around with us. And we were looking for a spot to meet. And there was this little grassy area there, but there was broken glass all over the place. So we couldn't meet there, and we just keep going, looking for a spot to settle down. Probably 20 minutes has passed, and I'm an eighth grader at this point. And I look back, and nobody else saw it. It was unannounced. I was the only one that saw it. But my buddy, eighth grader, his name was Chris Webster. He had gone to this grassy place. He had picked up all the big pieces of glass. He had taken off his shoes, taken off his socks, and he was walking the grass, one foot in front of the other. He'd take 10 steps, stop, pick the shards of glass out of his feet, put them into his hand, and walk 10 more. Nobody saw him do this. It made a profound impact on my life. Because I believe in that moment, even as an eighth grader, Chris Webster had this divine why not moment. The why not was like this temporary pain, this temporary discomfort. The why was that he saw a hundred kids whose daily lives are just brutal nightmares. And there was an opportunity for an afternoon to sit down and allow them to experience God's love. Just for an afternoon, they felt valued. They felt loved. They were hugged. I'm telling you, I know that eternity was changed for some of those kids just because Chris prioritized the why over the why not. My life was changed. I've told that story to thousands of people. What is possible for us when we make these simple acts, when we seize the opportunities that God puts in front of us to love, to honor, to heal the people around us? to be involved in relationships the way that he is designed. At the beginning, we said that pride says, I'm more important than you. 
think if we're going to see breakthrough in relationships, if we're going to see power and healing in relationships, then we have to believe that God's love is most important. God's love is the most powerful force in the universe. God's love is why we have hope. God's love is why we're forgiven. We have the opportunity every day to show tangibly somebody just a glimpse into the love that God has for them. Are you waiting for relationships, for something to benefit you? Or are you willing to be used as an instrument of healing and love in the hurting lives around you? Let's pray. Father, would you transform us? Transform us. Shift our focus. away from ourselves, onto you, onto how you feel about the person across from us. Lord, even this week, would we just stop for five or ten seconds before we have a conversation? Stop and just think, how do you feel about this person? Would we accept the opportunity to partner with you to speak life into the people around us? Would we take a step towards vulnerability, away from pride, towards healing, what you have designed relationships for? Use us and the lives of people around us for them just to get a small glimpse of how good you are. We love you. We trust you.